Shabbat Shalom, everyone. You may be seated. Judaism has a very interesting law that has to do with how we're buried. The law works as follows. Everyone, regardless of their career, regardless of their age, regardless of their religious affiliation within Judaism, regardless of their personal political beliefs, they all are supposed to be buried in shrouds, what are called in Hebrew, tachrichim. The reason why is that these shrouds are supposed to serve as a common denominator, something that binds us all together. Now, if we look around here, you'll see almost everyone has something different on. The only thing we have in common are some of us have the same talis on and some have the same yarmulke. But everyone has a different shirt on or a different blouse, different skirt or dress, different ties even. Perhaps we might own another tie, but rarely do two people wear the exact same thing at once. And often in life, we are differentiated and what we wear and how we live our lives and even where we spend our time. But when it comes time for death, we are bound as one. Please God, next Saturday night after Shabbat, I'm going to be boarding an airplane with some other members of our congregation who will already be in Israel. I will arrive in Israel just in time for Yom Hazikaron, for Israel's National Memorial Day where the country comes to a screeching halt, literally. An alarm is sounded and the entire country comes to a halt for two minutes, twice, one at night and one in the morning. And everyone reflects on a soldier, perhaps it's a family member, perhaps it's a child, a parent, a neighbor who has died. I'll be making my way directly to the National Military Cemetery called Har Herzl which is in Jerusalem, ironically located directly next door to Yad Vashem, to the Holocaust Museum. What I've always marveled at, at all of the military cemeteries, but it's modeled at Har Herzl, is that regardless of your background, regardless if you were an ultra-Orthodox warrior fighter, or you were a fighter from 1948 that never had any training that grabbed any weapon you could, whether you were male or you were female, whether you were 18 or 58, whether you were religious or you didn't believe in God, you're all buried side by side. That there is some moment in that death of unification where ultra-Orthodox parents come and mourn the loss of their child who served as a soldier, and they cry over the bed of his or her grave, and next to them stands someone who is not religious, who doesn't believe, who might eat non-kosher food on Yom Kippur and live in Tel Aviv. But they cry together, and the tears taste the same. I share that common denominator with you because perhaps you've been following some tension that is brewing in the Jewish community 
over the upcoming Israel Day Parade March that will be held on June 1st. For those of you that are unfamiliar, there is growing debate and there have been some synagogues and groups that have chosen this year not to march in the Israel Day Parade because some of the groups marching are not in political alignment with other groups and the way they feel that they should be celebrating Israel. Now allow me to explain further. There are some groups that are a little more left, a little more liberal, a little bit more on a particular stripe that will be marching in the Israel Day Parade this year who have had an empathetic ear to the boycott, divestment, and sanctions, the BDS movement that I am so vehemently opposed to and many others are opposed to. It doesn't mean that these organizations that are marching support BDS, but they have empathy for organizations that do. In essence, what they're saying is, the, the organizations that are empathetic, is that we support Israel as a Jewish nation state, and we support Israel's right to exist, but we believe in two states, and we believe that there is an occupying force in the West Bank that needs to leave. I want to be very clear about a couple of things. One, those are not my words, and I don't believe those words, but they are the words of other people, some who are Jews, and who also happen to be Zionists. There is an entire faction of people who upon hearing those words have determined that there's no way if they believe that Israel is an occupying force and the way to get them to deoccupy the West Bank is by enforcing boycott, divestment, and sanctions or being empathetic to organizations that do, that they therefore cannot be truly Zionist and they have no right to march in the parade. And some have claimed that if these organizations, which include B'Tselem and the New Israel Fund, march in the parade, that these other synagogues and organizations will not. The Israel Day Parade is a moment of unity. It is sponsored by the Jewish Community Relations Council, the JCRC, and the UJA of Manhattan. It costs over $1 million annually. And it is a fantastic time in the history of the parade that's 50 years old where all of these different groups, organizations, stripes, regardless if they're ultra-Orthodox or if they're totally secular, whether they're youth or they're elderly, whatever their mission might be, where they come together in unity and celebrate the one thing we all believe in, which is the state of Israel. And it hasn't been for almost 20 years that there's been such divisiveness over the parade. The last time, 20 years ago, was when a synagogue, which is known in the subculture, in, in the whispering, not in its official title, as the gay, lesbian, transsexual, bisexual, and queer synagogue decided it was going to march with other synagogues in Manhattan. And a handful of other synagogues said if they march, there's no way they represent what Judaism in Israel stands for. Now, obviously, that sounds so foreign to us today. But 20 years ago, this was a divisive issue. And the parade has not had such division in this time. Now there are many openly gay and transgender synagogues that march in this parade and other Israel Day parades. And Israel happens to be one of the only countries in the world, much before this country, where if you were openly gay, you could serve in the military. They didn't have a don't ask, don't tell policy. 
I share this division with you because it has put me in a pickle. And the pickle is as follows with the organization that I happen to be involved in. And the pickle is there are people in this organization who are groups, leadership in the rabbinic Jewish community that stand firmly behind organizations that want the right to march even though they don't celebrate all the things that Israel does, including some of the things happening that they argue in the West Bank. They find oppressive. At the same time, there are other organizations and synagogues that are choosing not to march and pulling out, which is the antithesis of unity and fractures our Jewish community. And in one of the yarmulkes in which I wear, we have to try and smooth out the significant wrinkle that exists between the two. And as I am wrestling with the empathetic ear I'm trying to have on both sides, from both perspectives, I keep coming back to the idea of shrouds. I keep coming back to the idea of standing at Har Herzl and seeing a modern Zionist, religious, bearded, kippah-wearing family crying over their son, and next to them lives the non-religious family crying over their daughter, and the tears taste the same. When I was last in Israel in February, I visited an elite infantry unit located just within the border, about a mile and a half from where the soda stream factory happens to be in Maaleh Adumim. This is a unit that just had their base there, and when they have to do particular maneuvers or exercises, they go to wherever it is they have to go to make these exercises happen. And for those of you who've been to Israel, you know that when you least expect it, about two to three times a day minimally, you see something or something washes over you almost like a breeze and it captures you and you realize the sanctity and the sacredness of this place, its land and its people. And such thing happened to me when I was on this base. We were drinking iced tea and Diet Coke and a little bit of chocolate cookies that they put out and telling us about all their different backgrounds. And there, there in one snapshot stood a representation of the land of Israel. There was a young man there, 19 years old, who was one of the commanders, who was Haredi. By Haredi, I mean ultra-Orthodox. He wore a black velvet yarmulke, he had a beard, and when he wasn't wearing his army fatigues, he wore a black suit with a white shirt and a black hat. His parents were Zionists and he wanted to conscribed to the army, so he did, and he was in charge of this group, this battalion. Next to him was a girl from Tel Aviv. Her job was she spoke fluent Arabic, and she translated Arabic of people that they would pick up and have to interrogate. Next to her was a young boy whose name was Yuri. He was 18. He came over to Israel when he was two. His parents were Russian. He plays the violin masterfully and probably will have a career in the orchestra when he's done. Next to him was a young kid from Netanya who goes to synagogue three to five times a year. 
And next to him was a religious Zionist who believes in the foundation of Herzl and Ben-Gurion, who lives on some kibbutz somewhere outside of Efrat. And this was just a snapshot. And all of these people live together in this battalion, eat together in this group, go off into missions each day, and entrust their lives one to the next. And I couldn't help but think in my rabbinic mind of the story that's found in the Talmud of Masechet Erevin that talks about the incredible dialogue, challenge, and tension that would exist between the house of Hillel and the house of Shammai. These were two rabbis who oversaw yeshivas, who oversaw schools of thought. And one had a particular view and another had a particular view, but they were always in conflict. And the majority of the time, more than the majority, the overwhelming majority, we follow the house of Hillel. But occasionally we follow Shammai. Okay, go figure, two Jews, different opinions. But here's the fascinating piece that's found in the end of that tractate in the Talmud. Two parts. One, it tells us that the students of Hillel and Shammai and Hillel and Shammai themselves would go and visit sick rabbis together. That they would walk hand in hand and go and do mitzvot hand in hand together, not separately. There wasn't an idea that Hillel said, when you go visit this rabbi, you let me know when you're done so that I can go. They went together. And furthermore, it tells us that the daughters of the house of Hillel and the daughters of the house of Shammai married the sons of the house of Hillel and married the sons of the house of Shammai. And by that I mean they were allowed to marry each other. They might have had different views, but their families didn't protest when one married the other because they still had a common denominator of respect. And while it's a wildly different analogy, I can't help but think of the two political pundits, Parville and Madeline. One a raging, by his own definition, defender of the Democratic Party and the other of the Republican Party who fell in love, married, have a family and children. Now politically, they couldn't be further apart, but their respect and understanding for each other is a form of unity. After wrestling with this issue for the last two weeks, I've come to the conclusion that when we put the shrouds on at the time of death, whether it be here in Bergen County or in Miami or Los Angeles or Chicago or at a military cemetery in Israel, it's too late for unity. We can't be united and unified only in times of trial and death. When they knocked on the door in Spain in 1492, they didn't ask, are you supportive of all Israeli causes? Are you conservative, reform, or orthodox? When they came knocking on the pogroms for the Russians and they looked for the Jews, they didn't ask what your political affiliation was, what kind of Jew you were, and we know they didn't do that in Germany and in Poland during World War II. And when they aim to take Jews in the crosshairs in Israel or in Kansas City, they don't ask what kind of Jew you are. They don't ask if your mother's Jewish or your father's Jewish, or do you support BDS or not BDS, or what kind of sympathizer are you with Israel, and how often do you go? 
our moments of unity need to be unified. And the Israel Day Parade on June 1st should be a day where we should march together. We can disagree 364 other days of the year. We can be passionate. We can be vocal. We can be strong-hearted. But we must be tolerant to those who don't think the way we do. We can disagree with them. But we must be tolerant. Because if we become intolerant of the other, then in essence, we're found guilty of the same crime that we're indicting others of. And that is against the core canon of laws we read today and the foundation of the Torah. With so much fighting in our world and so much infighting in the Jewish world, we deserve a day of unity. We deserve a day when Jews and non-Jews and all who celebrate a nation state for the Jewish people can march and lockstep together and proudly proclaim on Fifth Avenue and around the world that we believe in Israel's right to be a democratic state, to be an Orla Goyim, a nation light to other nations. And we believe in its right to defend itself. And within that, we might have disagreement. We might have pieces where we are on different sides of the spectrum. But walk into the Knesset any day of the week and you'll hear and witness those same disagreements. But the members of Knesset will drink, still drink cappuccino together after session even when they passionately disagree. That is the core of understanding. That's the core of tolerance. And that is what I believe our people and our nation need now more than ever. May it be your will, Adonai, our God and God of our ancestors, that as the date of June 1st comes closer to us and the time of the 50th Israel Day Parade falls on this great state of New York and all of its sister states. May all of us of different minds, of different passions, of different beliefs, of different backgrounds, may we stand firm in those beliefs. May we celebrate them and cherish them. But may we also be able to dial in our ears the voices of others and respectfully disagree and still hold hands together and what it is that we share in common because we cannot afford to wait to see our commonality in shrouds only. Kenya Hiratson, may that be God's will, and let us all say Amen. Amen. We can